It's a privilege to, uh, to worship with you this morning. Uh, it is our pattern, as, as has been mentioned, we do start a new uh, sermon series this morning, and we are glad that you're uh, here to, uh, to be on the front end of it with us. Um, and our pattern um, <clears throat> is for us to go to a passage of the Bible, a passage of Scripture, and then to use that as the foundation and, and basis for, uh, for our study each Sunday morning. But in, in order to be able to really intro this, uh, this series, this new series, Live Like It Matters, um, instead of starting in one text, I'm actually going to use a few different texts over the course of our time that we have together. And we'll do that in a few moments. But I, I want to begin by, by saying that I long that I might live a life that matters. That makes a difference. I, I want to live a life that has maximum impact on other people. And as a Christian, I, I want to live a life. I long that I might be able to conduct a life that has maximum impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what I long for. And here we are, we find ourselves now one Sunday removed from Easter, from the Easter celebration where the church of Jesus Christ all around the world celebrated the fact that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life, he died a sacrificial death for all of the sins, for all of humanity, and then on the third day he rose again to new life, conquering sin and death and hell. We celebrated that together, we celebrated that with one another just a week ago. And as Christians who believe that the grave was empty, that Jesus Christ is alive, we have every reason to live a life of impact. We have every reason to live a life that matters. I want you to consider a quote with me. There's a quote by a gentleman by the name of Giles Frazier, and he says this, the resurrection is more an identity than an argument. Often around the Easter celebration, then we'll find arguments for uh, different theories of why Jesus, the tomb was empty, or why Jesus did die or didn't die, and there's all of, and what he's suggesting, it's, it's more of an identity than an argument to be won. It is who we are, our word for how we face overwhelming odds. It is the Christian term for defiance. That Jesus Christ faced death and hell and he died and on the third day he rose again, overcoming death and hell. How do Christians face overwhelming odds, overwhelming darkness? How do we have a life that matters for Christ in a dark and an evil world? It is resurrection. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't something we argue for. It's an identity that we live out of. We are Christ, and we serve a risen Christ who is alive, and it is our identity. It's who we are, and it's out of that space, he says, that we defy the darkness of our age, and we live in the face of overwhelming odds. There was a time when Jesus completely totally, radically changed the lives of his followers. And I wonder, I wonder sometimes, 
if we don't make church too easy, if we don't make following Jesus too convenient, that what if, what if church wasn't about a place that you comfortably attend, but a people who actually live like Jesus matters? What if we were that? And, and as a pastor who helps facilitate and lead a church, I, I wonder about these things. Are we making it too easy on one another? Are we giving too many hall passes to one another when it relates to our faith? I love the church. I didn't always love the church. <laughs> I went to church. I loved Jesus, but I thought church was, for, was full of old people that did old things, and I thought pastors were just old, sort of stodgy men. And you go, bingo. <laughs> I want to take, I believe that in order for us to live a life that matters now and for eternity, it can only be found in the church, in the local church. I believe that if you want to live a life that matters, you cannot have a life that matters now and for eternity without the local church. And I want to spend the balance of our time together, in one sense, autobiographically, if, you, if you'll allow me that privilege this week, to talk through the journey that I went on because I didn't always know the church or love the church, but now I love the church, and I want you to know why. Can we have that discussion together this morning? I want to give you a few different, you know, the, the, it started to change for me. It started to change for me right after I graduated from college. While I was in college then, I sensed God's call on my life to go serve him with whatever my career would be. And I had sensed that I might be able to go and work with kids, with youth. I thought that would be the journey that I would be on. And I was a camp counselor um, at a camp called Camp Carl. Not a great name, but it was a good camp, all right? Um, but this was the camp. And there it was. And I, I'm, I'm there right smack dab in the middle on the front row holding the baseball bat and with the glove. There, there I am being a rock star. Um, <clears throat> that's just to show that I'm not lying. It was truly, there we were. And I was that summer after I graduated college and I went back out to camp that summer and there I met a gentleman by the name of Kevin Butterfield. He's a youth pastor and we were there having lunch uh, one afternoon and he said to me, okay, so you graduated college, so now what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something with, with youth and I thought maybe young life or youth for Christ. And he stopped me and says, you need to be in the church. I'm like, okay. I'm like, this guy's got issues. I don't know. Because I didn't even know the difference, really. I, I love Jesus. I thought, well, what, what's, the, what's the deal? with Why is he so adamant about this idea of church? And then I, that, that day, that conversation brought me on a journey that led me ultimately to, if I can say it this way, become a churchman. <laughs> but I want you to know, I want to spend a few moments in some passages of Scripture that have become for me the foundation. And that, it's not all, it's the Cliff Notes version, but it's a found, these are foundational passages for me on my journey of why I love the church in all of its dysfunctions and all of its weirdness, and all of its seeming irrelevance. Why the church? 
First is this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I said that I loved Jesus, and I wanted to follow Jesus, that Jesus was the primary point in my life, that I wanted to be his follower, and I'd given my life to Jesus, and then one day it dawned on me that Jesus loved the church. Jesus loved the church so much that he gave his life for the church. And then I had this question. How can I be a follower of Jesus? How can I have integrity about my life and being a follower of Jesus and not love the church? If Jesus loved the church so much so that he gave his life for her, how can I not be involved in the church? How can I not love the church? How can I not experience and participate in the activities of the church that Jesus, my Lord and Savior, died for? How can that be? How can that be? So it started simply this, that Jesus loved the church and died for her. And then came another passage when I realized that Jesus was the head of the church. Colossians Chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So the Son, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. How can we know what God is like? Jesus. That's what it says. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He wasn't born. He was the, he's the most important of all creation. For in him all things were created. How did creation come? In him. Jesus created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Why does creation exist? For Jesus. Who created it? Jesus. He is before all things. He always has been. And in him, all things hold together. How is it that we're able to be here this morning? How is it that the earth continues to spin on its axis? How is it that everything exists that exists? It's because Jesus, who is the authority over all things, holds it all together. He's holding, literally, he's got the whole world in his hands and everything else. He has all authorities. He's the supreme authority. Continues on. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You say, what? listen, God the Father, God wanted to have all of his fullness known. How is all of the fullness of God known to man? It is Jesus. It is in Christ. It is him. And he is the head of the church. All of the fullness of God is known in Jesus. And he is the head. Which means that everything that we do as a church is about Jesus, revolves around Jesus, teaches Jesus, sings Jesus. That's what we do. You don't have to come to this church, 
But if you go to a church and the church is primarily about social justice, worthy causes, but if they're not talking about Jesus, find a different church. If you go to a church that's about making you a good person, that's great. But if it's not rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then find another church. Because it has to be about Jesus, because that's the way God designed it. If you want to know God, it's in the face of Christ. All of the fullness of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ, and he is our head, the head of our church, the head of the Christian church. There came a point where I realized that I needed to love the church because Jesus loved the church and the church submits to his head who is Christ because he is the one who holds all things together. A third passage, a third passage for me that Jesus works through the church. Ephesians chapter three. His intent was that now through the church The manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now God's intent, his intent, was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known. That through the church, the church isn't a building, the church is people, That God's plan from all of eternity, right, from his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ was that the church, you and I, might be the conduit through which the manifold wisdom of God was made known to the world. You can say, well, that's a ridiculous plan. I agree. Because here I am with a microphone talking to all of you and you're actually listening. It's silliness in a sense. But you know what? It's God's plan. That you are part of God's plan from all of his eternal purposes. Because you, who are the church, are the opportunity. Why are you, what do you exist for? What? That you might be able to make known the manifold wisdom of Almighty God. I suggest to you, if you want to have a life that matters, for now and for eternity, that it can only happen in the church. And through the church. It's an amazing thing. But it gets even better. Because how will the world know from every tongue and tribe and language, how will they know about the manifold wisdom of God? It is only when the church of Jesus Christ rises up and does its responsibility to go out and share the manifold wisdom of God. That's how the world will know. But not only the world. But he says. No, back. There we go. Should be made known to what? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The rulers and authority in the heavenly realms. Or as if you read in Peter, that that the angels are longing to know. That your work, my work, right now, The work of the church is being viewed by the angels and by those who are the the powers and authorities in the heavenly realms who want to know the manifold wisdom of Almighty God. And you know how they know it? Through you and through me. 
and through us going out and living lives that matter, living lives that are on mission for the glory of God. And the angels look and they marvel at God's amazing wisdom, and the demons look and they shudder at the church of Jesus Christ empowered by the Spirit of God at work. What you're doing, what we're about, is not only just a scene on earth, but a scene in the heavenly realms. That this is God's plan through which his manifold wisdom might be made known is through his church. That was important for me. It's important for us to know that this was the plan A. This is God's plan. And finally this, Matthew 16, 18, that Jesus wins. That Jesus wins. And I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now we know how the story ends, that we are a part of, and we are a part of what God is doing, that God will do, and it will come to completion. I remember the day when I, when it dawned on me, out of Philippians chapter two, when when the the verse that says that. One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means that every one will one day bow down and proclaim Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. From the clerk at Target to the person who lives right next door to you, to, the, to your boss who's a complete piece of work, and you say, how in the world? One day every knee will bow and every, it's done. This is what's going to happen. I suggest to you, if you want to live a life that matters, then you do so. It can only happen now and for eternity through the local church. We know where this goes. So I begin to understand the church and God's plan for the church. Then I also begin to learn of the privilege of the church. And I want to I share the privilege in a couple of ways. In two things. The church saves and the church sends. The church saves. I know Jesus saves, and he uses his church. He uses his, his spirit uh, to work and convict and challenge. And Yes. By grace through faith, yes. But the church saves. Now, I, I understand that many people have been in church and have been wounded by people in the church. I, too, have been in the church and been wounded by people in the church. I, make, I do not make light of that. And there is no perfect church, and there never will be until Jesus himself comes. But understand this, that the church saves. It was in the church that I learned how to make wise choices, that I learned about accountability. Because you know why? Because I know me. I know the me that doesn't have, when I don't have a microphone on and a Bible out in front of me. I know the darkness of my own heart. I know where my mind wanders to. I know me. And if it was just me without the church, without the influence of the church of my, for my whole life, then I know where I would be. And it wouldn't be stinking here and you wouldn't be listening to me. I know that for sure. That's because I know myself. 
But it was because my mom and my dad, every Sunday, it felt, I think, most Sundays at least, when, when I was whining and crying and pulling the, the covers back over my head, and not, where they come upstairs and they drag me out of bed and put my sorry carcass in the back of the minivan, and off we were with my brother and sisters, off to church every Sunday, it felt, most Sundays at least. Not only Sunday mornings, but Sunday evenings. Because it was them, it was then, and I don't know that they knew. But it was because of their consistent effort in my life that God spared me sorrow upon sorrow because I was in the church. Because of the influence of the church on my life, even as a young child. In the church, I learned that all people matter. In the church, I learned that all people matter. I didn't read it from going to Starbucks and seeing that I better recycle my cups because all people around the world matter. No, I learned in church that all people were created with dignity because God put his image on all people. Therefore, they have dignity. Therefore, all people matter. I learned it in the church, and I learned it from a young age, that people matter. I didn't learn it from CNN and watching some sort of political debate. No, in the church. I learned in the church that I could be used by God. That I had gifts and talents that God had put in me. It was in church where I was in youth group and, I, and we were always encouraged to share our faith and I, was, I didn't know how to do that. It's not because of lack of training, it's because I'm dim and, 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 and dull. I... But I, my sophomore year in high school, then I was invited to join the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I said no, and then, I, and then, I, then he begged, my friend begged me, Matt, he begged me, and so I, I went, and then I got elected an officer. I, I don't, how that happens shows you the dysfunction of that group. It was about 15 people that met every other week and talked more about sports than anything else. And, and by my senior year, I became the president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and we went from meeting every other week with around 15 people to meeting every, week, every Monday evening with 120 high school kids studying the Bible. And nobody was more amazed that it happened than me. Nobody. How? What? And my friends, well, they were pretty amazed, too, because they didn't believe it, that it was actually happening, and they had to actually come and <laughs> witness it to make sure I wasn't lying. I wasn't. By the way, lying. <laughs> it is a staggering thing when God uses the way that he made you for his glory. It was in the church that I learned that. It was in the church that I learned that faith sings. When going in, in the service and standing next to my parents listening to them sing about the truths of the scripture and watching, my, and watching the tears stroll down my, my mom's face, her cheeks. And I didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to me. I, did, I didn't understand what's going on. Oh, but I do now. That when you sing, when we understand the amazing truth about what Jesus Christ has done for sorry sinners like you and me, and then when you sing about these great and glorious truths, when God works through his singing that faith sings, is there a greater thing? It doesn't mean you have to sing well, but your heart leaps with joy because of all that God has done. 
I learned it in the church. I learned to serve in the church, to consider others better than myself. Every Sunday evening, so Sundays consisted of us going to church in the morning and me changing into my soccer outfit in the bathroom of the church, eating a snicker bar, going and playing a soccer game or two, and then making our way back to church for Sunday evening. Because my dad had to go down every, every Sunday evening. He was go from classroom to classroom. And you know what he was doing? Giving crackers to kids. Because apparently you can't have church without crackers. <laughs> but he wasn't getting paid for it. He was serving. And I watched my dad. And I stole some crackers. <laughs> I don't know why kids' ministries always have to smell like crackers. But it was there that I saw service in action. It was in the church. It wasn't because of some corporate event that they put on where everybody got out of their cubicles and went and go served at the local shelter for one day a week so you could all feel better about yourself and your organization. No. It's about the people who take seriously the word of God and go and serve. It was in the church that I learned about the world. We get so myopic in our little space, don't we? It's so easy for us to just be here, you know, and just not think that there, we have a tendency to think that everybody's existence, everybody's home is just like our home. And we just sort of, it, it was in the church that I learned that there, it was because I got introduced to Bruce Britton that he and his wife spent a bulk of their life in Swaziland. And then he would come back from time to time and he would talk, he would speak in Swahili, I guess, and, and other dialects. And it sounded like, it sounded weird and, and awesome because they had given their lives. And it expanded my view of the world. It's because I got introduced to, to Cap and Debbie James who have moved over to Bolivia uh, in order that they might be able to raise their children in La Paz, Bolivia because they were planting a church and now they're going to be training pastors. And it was, I was exposed to Bolivia and to Bolivians and now their white kids have actually married Bolivians and now they have grandkids that are little Bolivian mixes. And it's all for the cause of Jesus Christ. That I was exposed to a world that Christ died for. It went, it, it, it took, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, each are precious in his sight. And it gave me faces. And it gave me names. And it was in the church. And it was in the church that I discovered about real friendship. These are, these are my guys. I'm the guy over there in the blue shirt, in case you were curious, back in my finer days. <clears throat> guys who I met in junior high and high school, we stood in one another's weddings. We've wept with one another when they're in job transition and when we've moved away from one another. I've had them stay on my couch when they're in marital trouble. One of them's coming out to visit on a grand journey out to Minnesota this summer. He was in the church. I learned what it was to be a friend, and I understood what it was to be friended before Facebook ever was around. It's in the church. I learned friendship and relationships. But the church doesn't exist just so that we can get bigger, 
so that we can somehow go, okay, hey, hey, look at all the people that are coming. Hey, hey, look at all the cars in the parking lot. Hey, that's, and that's not what the church exists for. The church saves, but the church saves so the church can send. So that the church can send. That's why the church exists. When we think about the church, we, I don't know what your thoughts are. When we think of a picture that we ought to think about for the church is that the church is more like an airport. Have you ever been to the airport? When's the last time you were at the airport? Have you ever got stuck in an airport? Has that been good for you? No. Airports are terrible. They're, they're terrible places to stay for long periods of time because they're kind of nasty because there's so many people around and the food's like going to make you fat um, and, it's just, it's, and it's overpriced and whatever else. But it's air, because they're not designed for you to stay there. They're designed for you to visit and then to be sent from. So it is with the church. The church is a place that we are about sending people. That's what we ought to do. It's designed to send. If we want to live a life that matters for now and for eternity, then we can't be going around trying to make ourselves feel comfortable. What we need to do, if we want to have a life of passion and a life that matters, then you won't just be sitting around. You will be active. You will be moving, and we will be sending. Because why? Because the church needs more disciples. We need more disciples. We need more people who are following after Jesus Christ, who are living lives like Jesus really matters. That's what we need more of. But it's not my job to tell your friends about Jesus. I'm happy to. I have a microphone. I can do that. But, they're not, but why would they listen to me? They don't know me. They know you. They're your friends that God has given you and put them in your life so that you can reach them. And it's my job to inspire you. It's my job to train you. It's my job to help you. And it's my job to send you into the mission field that is called your neighborhood. It is called your work. It is called your family. It is, and we would love to walk beside you and help you have spiritual conversations with the people that God has placed in your life. There's nothing we would, we would rather do than that. I guarantee you. Talk to any of our ministers staff. We would love to help you. It is so exciting for us. But we want to send you. That's our job, is to send you. And it's my job to be sent and do the same thing along with you. So we link arms together. We need to make disciples. We need to, which means we need to be strategic in the way in which we use our lives, that we're not so concerned with just church stuff that we make sure that we are building significant relationships intentionally on purpose with those who are far from God in order that maybe God might be able to use you to be able to be a light in their life because one day they will bow down before Jesus and proclaim him that he is King of kings and Lord of lords and they'll either do it on their own or they'll be forced to do it, but they will do it one day. And the question is, will God use you to help them do it first? And second, we need more churches. We need more churches. We need more churches who are passionate about making more disciples and then are passionate about making more churches. And it seems in one sense to be a little bit more counter, to be counterintuitive. But let me tell you what, how, how big can we actually be 
Maybe we can be 1,000. Maybe we can be 2,000. Maybe we can be 5,000 or 10 or 15,000. And we reach 15,000 people every weekend and we celebrate what God is doing. And that'd be fine and that's great. But if we planted churches, that if we plant five churches that plant five churches that plant five churches, the impact on the kingdom of God is far more significant and far more continued. The, the, up, the opportunity for growth. So we need to be thinking about sending our people out into planting new churches so that those churches can plant new churches. Because why? Because there are people that are far from God that need to know him. And it's our job to be sent. And I'm not talking about the annoying and painful people. I'm talking about the best and the brightest people. So if you don't want to be sent, just be annoying and then you'll probably stay. But if you want to be on mission for Christ with us, and that's why we're thinking and praying about how we too can be about planting a church so they can plant a church, who can plant churches and plant churches because we want to be about expanding the mission. We want to be about being used because the church is about sending. It's about saving and sending. One quote and then I'm done. as the distinctions between Christians and an ever-growing post-Christian culture emerge. We have to set aside any nominal belief systems and become active agents of God's kingdom. The answer is not found in waging cultural wars incessantly or in making a theological shift to the left to pacify a culture offended by the gospel. The answer, the answer is in all of God's people changed by the power of the gospel and propelled by love, moving into the mission field as agents of gospel transformation. As our culture continues to be post-Christian, the answer is not in changing what we believe. The answer is having people who have been changed by Jesus, who are propelled out into this world by love to recognize that they are moving into the mission field as agents of gospel transformation. That is God's plan. It has always been God's plan. And you are a part of that plan. And it is a great privilege for me to be able to link arms together for the cause of Jesus. May God help us this week to be agents of gospel transformation. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you use your church. Thank you that it is your plan that we have the great privilege of being a part of your plan. And Father, will you help us to be faithful? Will you help open our eyes in order that we might be able to see the field that is ripe for harvest? Will you give us the appropriate courage? And will you send us out, please, in order that you may receive the glory and praise? In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.